You know, I had the opportunity to speak once in a storm like this, same kind of situation. What was really interesting about it was that every time I would make a really, really strong and important point, it would be followed by thunder. It made a really dramatic recording. What's that? Confirmed by heaven, yes. I cannot review. It's it's too much. I will just say that I began to unfold a story. And it is the story of God's original, ultimate purpose. And it's His story. And we started in Genesis 1. We actually started before creation. When Jesus talked about... God's purpose in John 17. And then we started to trace it in Genesis 1 and 2 all the way through the Old Testament and we got to Solomon building the temple and we got to Isaiah prophesying and saying, Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? And we froze the frame. And we said that God's story is about something very dear to His heart. God is looking for a home. God is looking for a house. He is seeking to build a house for Himself. And that house is to be by Him. That house is to be through Him. And that house is to be to Him. It's something for God. It benefits us as humans, but it's for Him. It's not for us. And this is His story. And I open by saying that God is inviting you and me in this room, in this place. And those who will listen to the recording, He is inviting you and me into His story. And today, many Christians are inviting God into their story. But He's wanting you to be part of His story. So that's where we're going to pick up. We saw that the temple of God, the house of God, God's dwelling place, started out in a garden. The building materials are there. And then it moved from a garden to an altar and a tent with Noah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And then under Moses, the altar and the tent got a little bit bigger. It was called the tabernacle. And then under Solomon, the tabernacle got even bigger. God's dwelling place keeps growing. It was this huge, glorious, incredible temple. Well, something tragic happened, brothers and sisters. About 400 years after the temple of Solomon was built, tragedy struck. And like Adam... Israel rebels against God and they are cast out of the land of Canaan just like Adam was cast out of the Garden of Eden and we said that Canaan was the new Eden and the Babylonians who live in Babylon which is a counterfeit city it's one of the counterfeit cities that the enemy has created in opposition to God's dwelling place the Babylonians level Jerusalem they destroy the temple and they take God's people back to a strange land, the land of Babylon. Now, Babylon finds its roots in the Tower of Babel. 
And Babel means confusion. And what happened at the Tower of Babel? Fallen human beings got together and they began to make brick. Bricks are man-made. Man makes bricks. God makes stones. And they took the bricks and they built a tower to reach the heavens. And they said, we want to reach the heavens. And they used brick, which means the efforts of fallen human men. And then they said, we will do this and in doing it we will make a name for ourselves. Now brothers and sisters, (laughs) the man-made attempt to build something for God and make a name for yourself in the process is probably the best picture or image or definition of organized religion that I can think of. Babel, confusion. And God's people were taken to that land, the land of Babylon, in captivity. They lived there for 70 years. And all the time when they were in the land of Canaan, which was the new Eden, the place that God had chose to put His dwelling place, the place that God had chose to to live, move, and have His being. When Israel, God's people, were in the land, they would call Him the God of heaven and earth. O Lord of heaven and earth. But when they were taken out of the land, when they were cast out of the new Eden, when they would pray to the God, they would not say God of heaven and earth. They could only say, you are the God of heaven. Because God lost His house on the earth. And He was no longer possessor of the earth, only possessor of heaven. It was as if God moved from earth and went back up into heaven. And so they would say, oh God of heaven. They were there for 70 years. Now listen carefully. God will not build His house in Babylon. Even when His people are there. Now He loved His people even when they were in Babylon. He even blessed them. Listen. He blessed His people in Babylon. Do you understand? Was Babylon God's intention for Israel for them to live there? No. Did He bless His people there? Yes. They built houses. They built businesses. They thrived materially and financially. And you know what? Even though they didn't have the temple, there was only one temple that was in Jerusalem in the land of Canaan, they said, you know what? We have to worship our God, but we can't do it in the temple. Because the temple is gone and we're out of the land. So we will build synagogues. God never told them to build the synagogue. That was their way of worshiping God while they were living in Babylon. And God blessed them. He was still their God. He loved them. But Babylon was not His intention. It was not His original purpose. God will not build His house in Babylon. After the 70 years pass, a new king comes on the throne and says, Israel, you Israelites, you can go back to the land. Go back. Go back to Eden. Build your temple. Worship your God. And here is the sad, sad truth. Israel got so comfortable... In Babylon. 
They sunk their roots so deep into that land. They forgot the altar. They forgot the tent. That only 2% of the whole nation left Babylon to go back to Jerusalem. 2%. The scripture calls them the remnant. 2%. Think about that. I can hear some of the Israelites in Babylon making excuses. Well, God's blessing us here. We got the synagogue. He's blessing my vineyards. He's blessing the olive trees I planted. My business is doing well. We've been here for 70 years. And you know what else? Most of us are here. Most of us are here. God must be with us. Because most of us are in Babylon. Hello? And the 2% left. They went back to Jerusalem and they started to rebuild this temple. You know what? After a few years, they lost motivation. They were getting attacked. They were getting opposed. They lost heart. They kept saying, you know what? It's only 2% of us. And as they started to build, it wasn't really looking like the glorious temple of Solomon. They didn't have the resources. And so they stopped. They quit. They didn't go back to Babylon. They stayed in Jerusalem, but they quit. And the work stood still for 15 years. They quit building. And God had to raise up two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And Haggai came along and said, You know what? Consider your ways. You're living in your own houses when God's house lies in ruins. You're living for yourself when God has a purpose and a dream. And His house is lying in ruins. He's homeless. Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain. Get timber and go and build the house of the Lord. And Zechariah said this, Despise not the day of small things. Just because it looks small. Just because it looks weak. Just because you don't have the big numbers. Don't despise it. Because God is in it. And they finished the temple. And the old men, the old men who, who once saw the glorious, large, huge, arresting, riveting temple of Solomon. When they saw the rebuilt temple, it wasn't as glorious. It wasn't as big. It, it wasn't as startling. It was so much plainer. And they wept bitterly. And you know, it's funny because just before this happened, just before they finished, Haggai prophesied. And he said something else. He said, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And so they all interpret that to mean, wow, when we finish this rebuilt temple, it's going to be bigger and greater and more glorious than the former one, than Solomon's temple. Well, guess what? It wasn't. So did Haggai miss it? Well, I'm not going to tell you about Ezekiel's vision, but let's just say this, that Ezekiel had a vision also. And it was of a temple that was four times bigger than the temple of Solomon. God's house was getting even bigger. And that's how the Old Testament closes. It closes with Ezekiel seeing a huge, tremendously big vision of a huge temple that trumps... The temple of Solomon, but 
That temple never came to pass during that era. And it ends with Haggai making this prophecy that the latter house will be greater in glory than the former house, and that didn't come to pass either. So what happened? Enter now Jesus Christ. Enter now the carpenter from Nazareth. If you're going to begin the story of God, God's story of His passion to have a house for Himself, in the New Testament, you don't begin with Matthew, you begin with John. Because chronologically, the story told in the Gospel of John precedes the story told in Matthew. Do you understand? Chronologically, you start with John. Now, brothers and sisters, what I'm about to present to you, I, I believe to be some of the most important, glorious, and profound things that you can know as a Christian. And this is not just knowledge for knowledge's sake, because there is an application here for all of us. So hang with me. John chapter 1 and 2 are very unique in the Bible. John chapter 1 begins very much like Genesis 1. What are the opening words of John chapter 1? In the beginning. John 1 and 2 are the new Genesis. And if you read the first chapter of John very carefully, and even the next chapter, the first two chapters, you're going to find the language of creation repeating itself. You know, in uh, Genesis 1 you have in day 1, in day 2, in day 3, right? Well, in the Gospel of John it says, and then the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day. For example, on day 1, John the Baptist appears as a voice crying in the wilderness. A voice crying in the wilderness. And in Genesis 1, the earth is created formless and void like a wilderness. And the Hebrew word without form, without form, the earth was created without form, is translated all throughout the Old Testament as wilderness. Another day, Jesus is baptized and the Spirit descends on Him. That's what it says. And on the next day, the Spirit comes out and descends on Him. And in Genesis 1, the Spirit descends with wings hovering and fluttering over the waters of the new creation. The same Holy Spirit. Jesus is presented to us as the new Adam. His favorite title is Son of Man, which means Son of Adam. And Paul calls him the second man, the last Adam, in 1 Corinthians 15. And in Romans 5, Paul says that Adam was a shadow of the one who was to come. He is the new Adam. He came to do what Adam failed to do. Remember the Adamic commission, bear my image, rule with my authority? Adam was a king. Well, so is Jesus. He's exercising authority over nature. He can calm the sea. He's exercising authority over the creeping things. He's casting out devils. He is a king. He is exercising the rule and subduing creation. But he's also bearing the image of God. He who sees me sees the Father. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, He has expressed Him. He is also a priest. He bears God's image. But that's not all. 
Jesus Christ is the new Israel. He's the new Jacob. How many sons did Jacob have? Twelve. Twelve tribes of Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And Jesus calls what? Twelve disciples. He is the new Jacob. In John 4, he meets a woman at Jacob's well. And the entire chapter is an echo of Jacob meeting Rachel at a well. He even meets this woman at the same time that Jacob met Rachel. It was noontime. Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. And they failed the test. Jesus of Nazareth goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And thank God he did not fail the test. But do you know something that I find fascinating? For each temptation that Jesus had, how many temptations did he have? Three. You all know your Bibles. Okay, great. He's quoting Moses when Moses was in the wilderness with Israel. And when Israel was failing the test, Moses was saying certain things to Israel. Those were the exact same things that Jesus was quoting when he was in the wilderness for 40 days. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. Moses said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Deuteronomy 6 verse 16. Moses said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6 verse 13, Moses said, you shall worship the Lord and serve Him only. Jesus Christ, your Lord, faced the same temptation that Israel faced in the wilderness, but thank God He triumphed. So Adam failed in the Garden of Eden. Israel, which was called the new Adam, failed in the wilderness and in the land of Canaan. Adam was thrust out of the garden. Israel was thrust out of Canaan and went into the wilderness. But where Adam and Israel failed, Jesus Christ succeeded. And there are many Old Testament prophecies that refer to Israel, but the New Testament authors apply them to Jesus. Hosea, out of Egypt have I called my son. It's a passage referring to Israel. And Matthew applies it to Jesus Christ. He's the new Adam. He's the new Israel. But that's not all, brothers and sisters. In Jesus Christ, God's eternal quest to have a house is fulfilled. Because in John 1, verse 14, the scripture said, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And the word dwelling there in the Greek means tabernacled. He tabernacled among us. John is saying that Jesus Christ was the tabernacle. He was the reality of the tabernacle. You see, the Old Testament, all the story that we saw, those were all pictures. The tabernacle of Moses, the temple of Solomon. They were all pictures. The Old Testament is God's picture book. And in the New Testament, in the book of John, when it opens up, God's done with pictures. Here's the reality. Christ is the house of God. And then John says, we have seen His glory. The glory of the only one from the Father, full of grace and truth. Remember when the tabernacle was reared under Moses, the glory fell from heaven. And here John says, that was a picture of the real glory is on the real house of God, Jesus. 
And then in John 1, verse 51, Jesus finds Nathanael and he says to him, You shall see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Sound familiar? Remember Jacob's dream? He saw a stairway to heaven. He saw angels descending and ascending. And there was commerce between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. And Jacob said, this is the house of God. And here Jesus Christ is saying to Nathanael, the heavens will open. And you will see angels descending and ascending on me. I am the stairway to heaven. I join together the heavens and the earth. I bring together the invisible and the visible. I intersect God and humans. Wow. But that's not all. In John chapter 2. Remember I said Genesis 1 and 2, we we have the blueprint of God's house in Genesis 1 and 2. Well, in John 1 and 2, we have the new Genesis. And in John 2, Jesus says to the Jews, destroy this temple. Speaking of the temple of Solomon, which was standing right in front of them. And in three days, I will raise it up. And the commentator says, he was not speaking of the real temple standing in front of him. He was speaking of the temple that was even more real. He was speaking of himself, the temple of his body. Brothers and sisters, John presents to us that Jesus Christ is the temple of God. He's not only the tabernacle, he's the temple, he's the house. The triune God was looking for a home before eternity and the Godhead found it in the man Jesus. And that's why Colossians 2.9 says, All the fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, dwells bodily in this man Jesus. But Jesus Christ is not only the temple, He's also the Garden of Eden. John 7.37 If any man is thirsty, let him drink, and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He was speaking of the Spirit. Remember there was a river that flowed out of the garden. And here he says, If any man drinks of me, I'm the river. Out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. And some scholars say the his belly is referring to Jesus' own inner parts. Out of his belly, he's the river in the garden, will flow rivers of living water. But he's not only the river, he's the tree of life. In John 15, he says, I am the vine tree. If you ever want to know what the tree of life was, there's a good chance it was a vine tree. Because when you read Revelation 21 and 22 and you see the tree of life again, you find that it it extends across a river. Well, it either has to be a humongous tree that is so big, when you look up you cannot see the height of it, or it's a vine tree. And it grows this way. I am the vine. And then in John 6.57 he says, As the Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, He that eats me shall live by me. In other words, I'm the tree of life. You can eat of me. And you will have life. Life more abundant. Well, let's think about this. Remember the Adamic commission was, Bear my image. Jesus did that. He was the visible image of the invisible God. So he did that. And the other part was rule the earth and subdue the creation. And he did that. Jesus was the priest and the king. 
He bears His image and He rules. But there was a third part. Be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth. But wait a minute. Jesus of Nazareth never married. How can He multiply? And then you, then you go to John 12 where He says, You see this piece of grain? Look here. Drop it into the ground. Accept a grain of wheat. Fall in the ground and die. It abides alone. But if it dies, it will multiply. And brothers and sisters, your Lord, the new Adam, the new Israel, the king, the priest, the house of God, went into the ground when he was crucified. And you know what? When he was raised again, the only begotten Son became the firstborn of many brethren. Amen. And many grains were raised up with him. God is telling the same story, but He's telling it over and over and over again until His Son makes His appearance. So in Jesus Christ, we have the reappearance of the garden. We have the reappearance of the temple. We have the king and the priest. In John 1 verse 12, it says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. To them. And God said, Let us make man in our image and let them, them, them rule. To them He gave them the power to become the sons of God. We're talking about a corporate, collective expression. To them. Fifty days later, on the day of Pentecost, those grains that came up at the wheat harvest, out of the death of the one grain, they were brought together. And a priest in Israel took those grains and he mixed them together and he put them in an oven. And then, after a while, he pulled them out. And those individual grains were crushed, broken, and blended together to become one loaf. And as that was happening in the city of Jerusalem, over in some upper room, there was a wind coming from the other realm, breaking through this realm. And it blew into a room where there was 120 grains of wheat that had come out of the one grain. And on that day, as that priest took out that one loaf, which was made of many grains individually. On that day, the grains that were in that upper room, the 120, became one body. And tongues of fire fell on their head, just like the fire fell on the temple of Solomon when it was dedicated. And the Tower of Babel was such a stench in the nostrils of God that God came down and confounded their speech and they couldn't understand one another because they spoke in other languages and it created division. Well here on the day of Pentecost 
God comes down and they speak in other languages. But guess what? It unites them into one body. He's overturning what happened at the Tower of Babel. Laka. Ish. Wow. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah in any language. And over and over again, the New Testament talks about the temple not made with hands. Not made with hands. Acts 17.24 God does not live in temples made by hands. Acts 7.48 Howbeit the most holy dwells not in temples made with hands. Hebrews 8 verse 2 The true tabernacle of the Lord, it's pitched by God and not by man. It is not made with hands. Human hands. Now, brothers and sisters, this ought to be giving you a vision. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of God's dream, God's house. But not just Him, not just the individual Christ, but all who are in Him. And I'm just going to, I could take you through the rest of the New Testament and open this up to you again and again. And we can just see it again and again and just shake our heads and say, amazing, amazing, amazing Lord. Amazing Bible. It's really about one thing over and over again. But I'm not going to do that. I am going to read to you three passages of Scripture in the New Testament. And then I'm going to apply this because you know it has an application that's very, very important and significant. So, let's look at three passages. I'm going to read them to you. The first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Let's see the story continue. It continues in the Gospels, but then it goes all the way through the New Testament letters. And if you were here this morning, all of this is going to drop into place. And you're going to see things you hadn't seen before because you heard the story this morning. But in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6, Paul says, I, what? Planted. And God planted a garden in Eden. I planted the seed. Apollos watered, but God made it grow. What do gardens do? They grow. Verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers. You, the church in Corinth, are God's field. And that word field can be translated garden. In fact, the Amplified Bible translates it garden. It means cultivated field. And then he says, But you're not only the garden, you are God's building. You, church in Corinth, are God's building. Church in Corinth was only about 50 people max. We know this historically. We're looking at where they met. They met in the home of Gaius and the houses of that time. Said the whole church met there. It was only about 50 people. Just think of these 50 ex-pagans and some Jews. And he says, you are God's building, God's dwelling, God's garden in the city of Corinth. And then verse 11, look at this. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, and precious stones. Does that sound familiar? What was the temple made of? Gold, silver, and precious stones. What was in the garden? Gold, pearl, and precious stones. Silver comes after the need for redemption. Or wood, hay, or straw. Verse 16. Don't you know that you, plural, you, plural, all of you in Corinth are God's temple and the Spirit of God lives in you. 
So the church in Corinth, in the viewpoint of God, is a garden and it's a temple. And it's made of gold, silver, and precious stone. Now the second passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. God's household. Verse 20. Having been built, you, church, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, listen to this language, being fitted together is growing, there's garden language, it's growing, temples don't grow, buildings don't grow, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are being, listen to these words, built together. Built together. Built together. Into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. God has wanted a home, a house in which to dwell. And he says, build together. We'll come to that later. Now look at the last passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. You remember the vision that Jacob had where he fell asleep and saw the stairway to heaven? And angels descending and ascending on it. And then he said, this is the house of God. This is the dwelling place of God. And he took a stone and he put oil on it. Well, with that in mind, look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to Him, meaning Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. What's a royal priesthood? It's a nation that has priests and kings in it. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare. That means show forth the praises or the excellencies or the glories of Him who called you out of darkness into light. And here is the house of God, the purpose of the house of God, brothers and sisters, is to manifest the glories of the one who builds the house. And we won't turn there, but I just, I just want to tell you that in Revelation 21 and 22, we have this beautiful picture of a city, a building, coming out of the heavens down to the earth. It's a perfect cube, just like the Holy of Holies was a perfect cube. And in this city, you have the tree of life. And in this city, in this building, you have a flowing river. And it's made of gold, pearl, and precious stone. There's no need for silver anymore because the fall is gone. And then you hear the words, The dwelling place of God is among men. It is the new Jerusalem and God gets His house and what He's always wanted from the beginning, the Garden of Eden, to grow and spread throughout the entire earth, the entire cosmos, the entire universe, happens. The new Jerusalem, the biggest temple of all, 
1,500 square miles. I have no idea what it is in kilometers. It's big. It's the biggest house of all. It's the biggest temple of all. Beyond Ezekiel's temple. Beyond the temple of Solomon. And God is now dwelling with humans and humans with God. And God is one with man and man is one with God. There's oneness. And He gets His house. Now, brothers and sisters, listen to me carefully because this is the reason why we are here. God has an eternal purpose. And it is by Him, it is through Him, and it is to Him. It is for Him. He wants a house in which to dwell. Now, if you are a Christian in this room, and I'm going to assume that all of you are living stones... At one time you were a dead rock, a dead stone. You weren't a brick. You were not man-made. God made you. But you were dead. And by the graces and mercies of Jesus Christ, there came that moment where oil was poured upon you. And you were made a living stone. And right now, all throughout South Africa, all throughout the United States, all throughout South America, all throughout Australia, Europe, there are thousands and thousands of living stones. Praise the Lord for living stones. Thank God for living stones. Living stones. But so many of them are filing into buildings and listening to someone preach, just like you are right now. And going back to their homes and living their own individual living stone life. And so many of them believe that the purpose of God, the only reason why they exist, is to make other stones into living stones. As if God's purpose is for us to fill the world with living stones. And so living stones get real guilty because maybe they're not leading a lot of stones to the oil. And how many stones have you had oil poured upon it? But dear brothers and sisters, you can have thousands, hundreds of thousands, and millions of living stones on this planet. And God does not get His house. If right now, by some miracle, we can say a magic word and people would come to Jesus Christ by that magic word and we'd go throughout this whole city and we'd travel throughout this whole country and say that magic word and we'd see people come to the Lord until there are living stones everywhere. As far as the eye can see, God would still not have His purpose fulfilled because God is not interested just in having living stones he wants those stones to be built together to form a house for him he wants you to be built together with other living stones so that he can have a resting place a place for him to dwell a place for Jesus Christ to lay his head he had no place to lay his head when he was on this earth may there be in every city a group of living stones that have said we are going to take the altar we are going to live in a tent we are going to forsake the cities made by man Egypt, we're coming out of it what is Egypt? that's living for worldly pleasure 
pleasure, living for materialism, living as a consumer on this planet, and the only reason why you are alive is to make more money, to get a bigger house, a better car, consume, consume, consume. That's Egypt. And if you're living in Egypt, you're making bricks for the wrong master. God will not build His house in Egypt. And we have many living stones living in Babylon. And yes, they're God's people. Yes, God's blessing them. Yes, He loves them. But He will not build His house in Babylon. And then we got a lot of living stones that are in the wilderness. They've left Egypt. They've left Babylon. And in order to get to Canaan, the new Eden, the place where God will build His house, you have to go through the wilderness. It's inevitable. But how long you spend there depends on you. And many Christians, I have watched them throughout the years, they live their lives and their bones bleach in the desert, in the wilderness. And so God says, come out and head to the mountain on a hill in Jerusalem, in Canaan, and build my house and be built together with other living stones. And that temple is a garden and it will grow. And it will spread. And God's house will extend. So brothers and sisters, listen. The word to all of you right now is, if you're a living stone, are you willing to leave the counterfeit cities that fallen man has built? Egypt, Babylon, and the wilderness. And are you willing to give your life on a building site in the city of Jerusalem in Canaan and be built together with other living stones. Why? So you can be happy and blessed. No. So God can have His house. This is what provoked creation. A homeless God looking for a place to dwell. A God who was full of so much love that He wanted to extend the indwelling that He experienced with Father, Son, and Spirit and somewhere where they all can find home to express themselves, to bear their glorious image and to exercise authority and to multiply. God wants a home. Are you willing to be part of it? Here is my reason for being in South Africa. I want to see living stones in the city of Pretoria being built together to form the Lord's house. A dwelling for Him. I want to see living stones in Cape Town coming together out of the fallen cities of man and give their lives to be being built together to form the Lord's house. A place, listen, where heaven and earth come together. An intersection a joining of the invisible and visible. A replaying of the Garden of Eden where God walked in the cool of the day and the tree of life could be eaten. A foretaste, a foretaste, a foregleam of the new Jerusalem when out of the heavens the fullness of the city of God will come to earth and humans and God will be totally united. And God will find His dwelling among us. A foretaste of that. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. I've been a Christian a long time. And I've been in a lot of churches. And a lot of movements and a lot of denominations. And I can tell you this. The times where we had heaven on earth. The times where God was walking in the midst. 
The times where we had that interface between the heavenlies and earthlies. Commerce between that realm and this realm was in a living room with other brothers and sisters that I was being built together with to form the house of the living God. I mentioned Pretoria and Cape Town because those are really the only two cities I know. Johannesburg and there's all so many. Some of you came to this conference because God made you hungry. And some of you don't have any idea. You don't have the foggiest idea what you're hungry for. Well, right now, you should have an idea. If you didn't know beforehand. And if this doesn't make you hungry for more of the Lord, then I can't help you. If you want to go beyond this, you're shooting way too high, in my opinion. (laughs) I can't help you. Because I don't know anything is more glorious than the house of the living God. And that's what your Bible's about. That's the story He's inviting you into. And it's a glorious story. Isn't Jesus Christ awesome? He's more than just the Savior. He's more than just the Savior. 